Hey, first off, I wanted to send a big heartfelt thank you for everyone that's been listening to the show. We wrapped up season one. This is the first episode of season two. Thank you so much for being a part of my journey. Today's episode features Mark Metry, 22-year-old kid. He's an author. He's a TEDx speaker. Uh, he helps people on their along their podcast journey. He has a global, um, you know, top ten to one hundred podcasts in the mental health and entrepreneurship category. So I hope you enjoy his story and his journey. And we will chat after the episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Blaze Your Own Trail podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Mendoza, and I've got a very special guest with me today. His name is Mark Metry. And Mark, if you can, in in your own words, just give the audience a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so I'm this really interesting 22-year-old that's living on the East Coast, uh, Northeast of the United States in Boston. And um, I've just gone through an interesting life that's made me just kind of realize that um, uh, mental health transformation, uh, fulfillment are the most important things about life. And so as of today, I am author of this book called Screw Being Shy, Learn How to Manage Social Anxiety and Be Yourself in Front of Anyone. And that's me. Boom. That's awesome, my friend. Now, um, it, it's so amazing too. Congrats on the book. And uh, I'm sure we're definitely going to rap about that here in a little bit but you know what i'm always interested in on the show is you know it's it's all about hearing how people have blazed their own trail and i know a little bit about your journey i'm sure there's going to be plenty in the audience that have heard your name and seen your content but if we can i want to rewind back to back to when you were younger let's go back to the elementary school days so where did you grow up and what kind of kid were you when you were in elementary school and then we'll kind of fast fast forward back to today here in a little bit yeah so my parents came from egypt they immigrated to the u.s a couple years before i was born and um you know we really just kind of lived like the immigrant lifestyle my parents worked all the time we moved to like and thousand different apartment buildings. Um, had just kind of like a very simplistic childhood, had some fun times, but it was very simple and humbling. And when I got a little bit older into middle, into elementary school, excuse me, I ended up, we ended up moving out of like kind of the, the bigger city area into a more rural uh, place outside of the city. And we moved into this small town with like 5,000 people. And um, in this town, a very interesting town and it's very unique in the sense that there was no like racial diversity whatsoever and so basically everyone at that school looked the same everyone was white except for me and like a couple other people a couple other families and so um i definitely had my fair share of like people like racism uh bullying all that stuff eventually i developed like f- some physical health issues like asthma issues with my digestion sleep skin and uh really what ended up happening was i just began to develop like social anxiety because of the environment around me was was so bad and i didn't really have any energy because the physical health conditions i had like elementary school i was like the super super shy kid And, and like the thing is like i was always probably introverted in my life but there's a big difference between being introverted and then being shy and then having social anxiety. Introverted is just a personality trait. And it means that the way that your brain works is you're more focused on the internal world. You're more focused on your ideas, thoughts, and emotions. And, and it's okay to be, be shy every once in a while. It's, it's, there's a natural level of where it's healthy. But some people can you know, be shy in every scenario they walk into. They can be shy in every single situation they walk into and eventually it becomes social anxiety where they largely can't even control it because their body is running on an emergency system response where it puts their body into a panic state every single time they have to talk. And so for me, that was the kid that I was growing up for like a solid 10 years from elementary school 
to eventually when I was 18 and I kind of realized that I had this problem. Okay. So you realize you have this problem at, at 18 and you know, that wasn't your 22 today. So it wasn't, wasn't that long ago really in, in the grand scheme of things, but I'm, I'm sure, you know, the progress that, that you've been documenting and you've been making, I'm sure it, it, it feels like it's probably been, been even longer, right? Because, uh, you went through, went through a ton of experiences. So when you had that, you know, really I'm, I'm looking at it like a pivotal moment, right? There's just this moment you're 18. So yeah. what was it that happened and what was it that you did to take the first action that created the momentum to, you know, kind of what's leading us to where we are today? Yeah. So, so this is the crazy mystical thing that happened, right? So I went to my first college party <laughs> and I got drunk for the first time in my life. And when I got drunk, you know, alcohol is a, you know, it shuts down the part of your brain that factors in social judgment. And then I was like, whoa, I could walk up to any girl or guy and say whatever I want to for the first time in my life. And so when that happened, I was just like, whoa, like I've never, I've never experienced this before. And then sort of like the days after that, I was, I sort of began to realize that like, oh wait, I'm actually not like some messed up kid. I'm not like some kind of a moral failure. I just have this thing called social anxiety that I had no idea my entire life until now. And so when that kind of happened, you know, at first I just sort of tried to run away from it, you know, because I think when you become aware of a problem, like of a legitimate problem of like a deep problem, you're, you kind of like, you see kind of like two forks in the road of like, I could try to learn more about this. I could try to actually get on like the proactive side and try to like learn how to manage this better. I could learn to get healthier. And there's like this other path of like, don't take that responsibility and just try to escape, you know, just try to run away from your problems through, you know, um, you know, very shallow forms of usually pleasure. And so for me, I tried to escape. I did not try to take on that, that right path. And so for me, um, you know, dabbled a little bit with, with more alcohol and drugs partying. But for me, my real drug of choice was food. And so like I had nights where I would just binge eat and order pizzas and all this stuff. And I'd do that every single night because I was like feeling so much pain that I was just using food as like a crutch. I was using food as a emotional coping mechanism. Next thing I know, I've gained like over 75 pounds. I'm over 200 pounds now. Um, my social anxiety that I kind of always had actually starts to get worse and it actually begins to like try to get me to socially isolate myself. And then I never really had depression or anything growing up, but I kind of began to develop that seriously for the first time, which eventually led me to, you know, even being a point in my life where I was flirting with suicide. And so all these things just kind of happened. And it was because I tried to like run away from that. I tried to run away from like the real person who I was because, you know, this is the thing, like, you know, I've had problems in my life, but I've also had some successes. You know, I've had some good things in my life happen. And when I kind of realized I had social anxiety, I realized like, wait, I'm not actually giving it everything I've got. I'm not actually using my potential 100%. And so like I had always grown up because I had social anxiety, I had always grown up and I just had so many regrets because people that have social anxiety that can't really express the real them to others, they always walk away from scenarios and they're always so regretful. Like I remember staying up like every night as a kid and being like, man, I should have said this to that person. I should have said that to this person, which then gets you to overthink and try to project what you're gonna say tomorrow to all those other people. And so like, it's a real mental game that can kind of get people just stuck in their own dome. And so when I kind of realized that, I kind of like hit my own version of rock bottom through being suicidal, through being, through being obese, excuse me, my mic just fell there. And eventually, you know, I just felt the level of pain of where I was like, I really can't escape from this anymore. It's either I'm gonna become a statistic or I'm going to, like, at, like first and foremost, like I realized that I kind of had this potential because I realized that a lot of people who are suicidal, they don't even realize that um, like this is their rock bottom. They don't even realize that this is super, super painful for them. And they're kind of stuck in this trance and they're unconscious of it and they just do something that's impulsive. But for me, when I was in that state, I realized that like um, 
I realized that like, like it was this or I'm going to die. And so I kind of used that pain to essentially just take like small steps to get out of it. And for me, like while this was going on, you know, I didn't know what the words like mindset were. I didn't know what like any like these words in leadership that we use today. And so for me, I was just like, okay, how can I lose weight? And so I just started doing research about health and food and like diets and nutrition. And I began to learn that food, what you put in your mouth actually has a lot to do more than other than just like your waistline. You know, food ha- you know, food controls your mood, food controls your energy, food controls your sleeping patterns. Food can, you know, if you play it out, food can even control your behavior around other people. And so for me, like some of those first steps were actually getting my physical health together because when you actually look at the science, and again, there's for sure exceptions, but physical health is usually tightly correlated with mental health. And so for me, like, it was just sort of accidentally stumbling into improving my own mental health just through like the fact that I realized that I was overweight through looking at myself in the mirror and just being like, okay, let me try to lose weight. And I began to like tackle just the problem that I could see. And as I kind of got into it, I realized there were things that were a lot deeper sort of under the surface. Yeah, and that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, I heard I heard a quote recently. I was down in Orlando for some team meetings and uh, I don't know who it's by, but you may have heard this before. It, it's, it goes, the inner game controls the outer game, right? That's exactly and, it. Dude. And, and like, I don't care if it's life, it's sports, it's business, it's fitness. Like literally mindset is everything, right? It's, it, it is the game. If you have a positive attitude, positive things start to happen. And when you go to the other end of the spectrum, uh, as you know, you've experienced this, on the negative aspect, negative things happen, right? And it's all about the messaging that we're telling ourselves. And um, that's exactly it. That's exactly it, man. And, and and like the thing is, is that like in everyone's brain, like in everyone's mind, we think what we think is right. And like the matter of the fact is, is like the game, the brain, excuse me, is the master at playing this game. And so what I mean is like, when you actually like, there's a chapter in my book where I kind of break down like the neuroscience of like, of like life itself. And like, there are these things called cognitive biases and distortions that our brain has hundreds of them that essentially run our lives. And what I mean is this, right? So our brain is this survival organ that has survived for thousands of years by keeping humans alive, not by keeping us happy. And so our brains will literally create this reality and like it will create an internal game that may not even be right. And in turn, that'll affect what you do in the outer game. So it's like everyone's brain takes a model of what it sees in the world. It takes examples and models of like, okay, if I do this, then this will happen. It it creates like these mini rules. It creates like these parameters in which the internal game is run. And the matter of the fact is, is depending on those inputs, depending on your circumstances, usually earlier in life, your internal game might be wrong. Your internal game might be fooling you because like I said, the brain is the best master at playing this game in and of itself. It's like, there's a quote in my book and it's like, the mind is the worst prison to be locked into because you don't know where the jail cell starts and ends. And so a lot of us, we're going through our lives and we're like, okay, the, the pictures and videos that when I open my eyes, I see, we automatically assume those are right. When in reality, if there are some underlying issues going on, whether it's, let's say, um, your, your brain is inflamed, it has inflammation, or whether your gut microbiome, which is this ecosystem of bacteria that we have that control a lot of aspects of our health is unbalanced. Maybe you had some sort of traumatic event early on in your life that taught you a model that isn't even necessarily correct about how the rest of the world operates. And so essentially as kids, we build our internal game. And when we grow up, 
some of this internal game isn't even right. And so when we're adults and we're trying to use those same rules, the same things that our brain has learned, we run into a lot of these problems. And so a major aspect of, I think, what it means to be successful is constantly just understanding like what neuroscience is and how our brain actually operates. Because like I said before, your brain's main job is to keep you alive. It's not to keep you happy unless you teach it how to do that. And so that's like a major, major rule that I think gets a lot of people sort of mixed up. And then if someone isn't even aware of this, then they'll think that the main problem of their life is in the external. And for sure, there are problems on the outside all the time. But like, um, like a mentor of mine, uh, Jay Shetty, he says that if you want to go further in life, if you want to advance more, you have to go deeper inside of yourself. And so for me, like in all of the most professional like successes that I have, almost all of them tie back to a time where I had to like really go deep into myself, go into that self-development, kind of understand the internal game from like my mind, from my heart, from like the gum microbiome scientific objective to like my soul. And so that's the way that I kind of think about it. And it's so, so important because I think once you get that straightened out, then a lot of things on the external are just flow easier. It's easier to sort of handle when you've got this handled first. Absolutely. And I was actually, I had a guest on the show uh, earlier in the week and we were, we were talking about EQ, right? And, you know, how adversity you know people that experience adversity in life um end up uh if they're able to really dissect these experience having very very high eq right and um you know i'd given him some examples because when he said it i was like you know what that that actually makes a lot of sense, right? Because you have these decisions to make, you get put into these pivotal moments in these situations. And, you know, I think every human, we, we have these in life. We have trials and, and tribulations and adversity that we face. And um, if you can come out of them on top, that story and that journey can really attribute to you being able to manage your emotions better. Uh, and that's really what, what EQ is all about is, you know, for one, being self-aware of your emotions and then being able to manage it, manage them, uh, when you feel them coming on and then being able to do that in, you know, social settings and with relationships. So what are your yeah. thoughts on, on EQ and, and really how, how yeah. it attributes to people's success? So this is what I think it is. So I think for sure, like when you see someone who's been through a lot and they've been able to get out of it, then for sure, like they, like, it's just totally different. Like, like back to what you were saying of like, I've only been on this journey for like the last four or five years. And yet it's been like a lifetime. Like that's what it's, I felt like I've kind of lived like three different lives. And so for sure, you learn more about yourself. You learn more about people. You learn more about circumstances that just kind of make you learn and kind of understand these the way that life works. But honestly, I think that like in the big picture, this is the way that I think about it. So I think our brain at a very macro level can be broken down into two sides, an emotional side and a logical side. And the best way I can describe this, and I uh, am borrowing this analogy from uh, Mark Manson, who is the author of uh, The Subtle Art of Not Giving Up. And I've, I've had him on my podcast He's a great guy. The way that he breaks it down is this. So our logical part of our brain and our emotional part of our brain are talking to each other, but it might be in a dysfunctional way. And the way that he describes it is like, the logical part of our brain is the adult driving a car and they have their hands on the steering wheel and they get to drive it, they go left or right, they have their foot on the gas and the brake. The emotional part of our brain, which is usually more dominant, is the kid in the backseat, the baby in the backseat, crying and screaming. And so a lot of the times we'll be on the highway of life and we'll be driving and like we, we think we know what we're doing and like our logical part of our brain is just moving step by step. But then all of a sudden the emotional part of your brain starts crying and you look in the rearview mirror and you're fixated on the emotional part of your brain and, and, and your baby's just crying. 
And the next thing you know, you're like swerving because you're not even looking ahead of you. And right then and there, like and this, this is this describes like a lot of behavior that people either want to do, but they can't get themselves to do or behavior that they don't want to do anymore, but they can't stop doing. It. And so a lot of the times, like we might think in our logical brains that like, oh yeah, we know what we're doing. Like it's one plus one, two plus two. I just got to do this. When in reality, there are some much deeper underlying emotions that are actually dominating our lives. And if you can address the root of those, then you can almost synchronize and connect your life in a way that's not destructive or self-sabotage. Like this is essentially like what therapy does. Like when you go to a therapist, they don't really talk that much. They ask you questions. And the reason is, is we haven't been taught to synchronize both of these parts of our brains. We haven't been properly taught to communicate the logical side of our brain with our emotional side of our brain. And if you neglect one or the other, it'll come up to bite you deep down and break through the surface. And so when you go to therapy, they just ask you questions because they're trying to open up these feedback loops to get our brains to, to sync. And I mean, it doesn't just have to be with therapy. It can be with, you know, having a, a good conversation with a friend that kind of knows how to give someone space and get, and give someone curiosity to kind of ask themselves those questions. Because a lot of people, you know, try to, to like change their minds. They try to change their EQ or whatever. And they're approaching it from very much like a, like a brute force perspective of like, I just got to hammer down this information. I just got to repeat this stuff. And for sure, repetition, consistency, that's a major part of it. But a lot of times, if you just give someone like advice or you give someone information, their brain is closed off to it. But if you can get them to maybe ask themselves questions or begin to see things in a different light, then they can start to open up and kind of connect the dots between the logical side of their brain and their emotional side of their brain that then can help someone develop the legitimate EQ and, and just other sort of areas of their lives. So that's kind of the perspective that I take on. That's awesome. And yeah, it's very interesting, you know, because we all, we all know people that uh, have a long fuse and a short fuse, right? Um, whether that's, you know, friends, family, relatives, coworkers, business partners. Um, and it's always been interesting to me when, you know, person A reacts very, very calmly and person B, you know, can, that fuse can be ignited really quick. And, you know, in, I teach a six month leadership program uh, for the company that I work for. And one of the, the sessions that we talk about is it's called an amygdala hijack, right? And it's when Ooh. the primitive part of your brain gets taken over so much that you're not even able to react or respond. And, and it's almost like, you know, when you snap out of it, you're looking at the other person like something's wrong with them. You know what I'm saying? So, um, and, and I know, I, I know I've experienced this in my life, whether it's, you know, with my, my spouse or with my kids. And um, can you tell me about a time that this has happened to you? And, you know, what, what have you done to really kind of bring yourself out of that, out of that place? Yeah, man, it's, it, and it's so weird too, because it's like when you begin to like learn about it and you begin to learn that awareness and then it happens and then you, it's like you step outside of it. You're like, like, what, like, what was that? Like what, what cloud was over my head? Like what kind of weather storm was that? Because I don't even feel like that person. It's, it's so strange. But, um, I mean, honestly, like for me, I mean, like for me, like my entire life, that story for that was social anxiety. My response was, it was not lashing out. It was not getting angry. Mine for my amygdala was shut down, make yourself smaller, retreat, hide in the corner, social anxiety. For me today, honestly, like there aren't too many scenarios where I feel like my amygdala um, acts up for, for sure. But, I, you know, of course, I definitely experience anxiety here, here to there to a normal degree. But I mean, like one example is like, I think maybe in January, yeah, like at that last week of January, um, I don't want to use the word depression because I don't want to like minimize that word because I don't really think I have depression. But I kind of felt like for like so, like a solid like half of the day, there was just like like I said, there was just like a cloud over my head, and I had to like what I did was I just went for a walk, and I was just like 
kind of looked at it and I kind of looked at my like my schedule and I realized that like I stopped taking a lot of the time that I would normally take for like you know self-care like taking walks doing these kinds of things because I was sacrificing for work and hustling and all this stuff and so I remember just like going for a walk like in the forest like in woods like in nature where I haven't done that in a little bit and after that and after I had talked to a friend about it, things things had sort of calmed down. But I mean, I think the reason is, is because the reason why it's not that big is because I do things every day that purposely train my amygdala and train my brain to calm down. You know, one of those is meditation, you know, which a lot of people talk about. You know, meditation is, you know, a lot of people talk about meditation that, um, a lot of people talk about meditation from the perspective of like, it, it's there to like calm you down. And for sure it can do that, but I think that's just a side effect. You know, meditation actually just completely restructures and rewires your brain and it gets you to act and um, uh, respond to when your nervous system is in a different state and it's not in this fight or flight uh, nervous system parasympathetic response. That's one of them. Another one is like, sleep sleep is a big one you're much more likely to like see your body kind of like react primitively if you're not giving it the right resources um i talk about this study in my book where they show um people who consume uh increased amounts of sugar and processed food have a heightened activity in their amygdala which is massive and so i do a lot of these things on a regular basis to where like i haven't really like hit a time where i've been like freaking out or something for sure i definitely get in my moments and i think the the biggest thing that's changed is like when you get in those moments it's gone from like when i was like a teenager or when i was a kid where i would be in those states for like days or like weeks at a time to now it's like you know on a good day like three seconds you know or on a not so great day maybe it might be 30 minutes it might be an hour it might be two hours i don't know so it's really shortening that response time to where you can get back into your own head. Hopefully I don't kill myself with this microphone too small down. But, uh, but yeah, that's what I think, man. It's a great question. Awesome. Awesome. And, um, so you, you mentioned that you're, you're more introverted, right? And you gave a, a brilliant description. So for, for, for sure. the audience that, uh, you know, didn't hear that earlier, it's, it's really where you get your energy from, right? Do you get your energy from the inner world or the outer world? And I think you made a brilliant point when you said that just because you're, you're, you prefer introversion, right? Because it's, it's, it's a preference, right? You prefer <laughs> to, to you know, be more to yourself versus, around larger groups right and it doesn't mean that you can't right and that's i think that's an important thing for people to understand it doesn't mean that you can't get in front of large groups or you can't be around people for a long period of time what it does mean is that the energy that after those events and those experiences like you don't want to talk to anybody you want the radio off like you need that time to get back to to yourself right and for for me you know i've always been more extroverted so i get my energy from being around a ton of people and the party's over and i'm ready for the after party right and so it's it's so interesting though once you start to really understand type you know noticing it in other people right because it helps you be able to relate to people it helps you to be able to know how to approach people and so um you know, I actually am certified in Myers-Briggs and before I got certified, I, I didn't really understand personality. Like I knew introversion and extroversion, I think most people, like you hear about that more often, but people don't take the deeper dive, right? People don't get into, are you a thinker versus a feeler? Are you a judger versus a perceiver? Which really gets more in depth into personality. So what are your thoughts on, you know, the different assessments that are out there? Have you taken any of them? Um, You know, whether it's, you know, the strengths finders, emotional intelligence 2.0, or maybe MBTI, you know, um, how familiar are you with those? Yeah, definitely. I mean, well, to, you know, back up, I think that, um, you know, you, like, you can be an extremely sociable introvert. You can be actually a pretty shy extrovert, which is a really interesting combination. But I mean, ultimately, yeah, it is how you get your energy. And that's also like, like you said, it's a personality type. Like, you know, I believe that being an introvert, being an extrovert is is largely fixed. You can't really change it. However, 
you know, if you are shy and more people who are introverted are prone to being more shy because they kind of spend more time in here, which can, you know, back to internal models can, can, you know, have some not so great results depending on those models. Um, and then honestly, like I see like a lot of speakers that I know, a lot of successful people, introverts, they are introverts. And just because they can like speak at an event with for 500 people doesn't mean that that um you know they uh they're they're afraid and so i think i think there's a lot lot of sort of interesting things and you know honestly when it comes to personality tests i think it really a lot of it has to depend on, like the the mood and state of you take the actual test like I've taken Myers-Briggs like 10 different times and I've gotten different personality types almost every single time. Um, and so I think I think some tests are better suited for some other people um, than ever or than others. I think a good test out there is one by um, this organizational psychologist by the name of uh, Dr. Tasha Urich. She's a New York Times bestselling author too. Her test is more on like self-awareness. That is very, very helpful. So that's one that I would recommend people to check out. Awesome. So I want to give give the audience a little bit of context about, you know, the fruition of your podcast, right? So um, can you give the audience, you know, when you like when, first of all, when you came up with the idea that you wanted to start one and then what was that first 30 days like after you launched? Uh, so yeah, I mean, so technically I actually had a podcast back in 2011 that I started with me and a couple other people, but we quit like a week, two weeks in. Cause we were like, man, there's no way this podcasting stuff is going to catch on. But you know, I started my podcast humans 2.0 because, you know, quite frankly, like I was just getting started in like this whole sort of new chapter in my life with like all the self-development stuff and and, you know, for anyone who's on this journey, you know, you know, it's definitely rewarding and it's meaningful and it's fulfilling, but it's also very hard. And it's very difficult. And so for me, I was kind of like running into all these problems in my life and I just didn't really have solutions on how to handle them. And so I was like, you know what, I, I, I got to get I got to get that direct sort of like primary resource access to like the best information from people who like are actually doing the things that they talk about in the world and are known as the best of the best of doing them. And so I was like, I'm going to start a podcast to just sort of like put myself in the system, like a school basically, where I could like talk to someone after someone, I'd read their book, and then I'd ask them questions and I'd develop my own understanding. And then I'd put that out there online and then people would give me their feedback and my learning would grow and so on and so forth. And then I remember like I was on a run in the middle of the woods and I came up with the name Humans 2.0. And, um, you know, I didn't like at first my podcast was kind of like more about technology. But as I kind of understand, understood more about life, I kind of realized that, like, like, I, like you said, like it's more about the internal game than the outside game. And it doesn't mean that you like shouldn't host a podcast on the outside game because everyone's just got different goals and stuff. But for me, I kind of wanted to drill down to like that human root. Like, like what makes us human? Like how can we improve the state of like being a human in and of itself? And so software background, I don't really do that anymore. And so I was thinking, you know, like, you know, like softwares have versions, you know, you could, you know, get on that track of like updating that software and, and, and trying to like upgrade yourself. And so that became the podcast and, um, yeah, I mean, it's been a crazy, crazy ride. Like the first month of me launching it, nobody listened to my podcast, bro. Like <laughs> my show was getting downloads and then maybe like a year after. And I also come from a background of marketing too. So I definitely sort of knew what I was doing. Um, after a year, I had like a decent base of people listening to my podcast. And after that, I just totally like blew up and it like became a life on its own and it's probably become like the like that and like LinkedIn have probably become the two biggest like vehicles or paths rather to my like success when it comes to professional success and then honestly quite on like per personal success too because you're always learning you're always growing your relationships too
so yeah it's been a crazy ride that's awesome and so how many guests have you had to date uh i think i'm like reaching 300 now okay that's awesome man and did you did you set any type of goal when you started did you say like by 2020 you know i hope to have you know 300 episodes or has this all really just happened organically and just you know as it started to scale when when everything started to blow up has it just been like all right well i don't know i don't know if i have a numbers goal i just want to impact as many people as i can you know yeah so so when i first started i I had no idea what i was doing and so like i I kind of I kind of came up with the idea um, to, to start the podcast like in, in like summer of 2017. And then by like the end of that summer in like August, I had actually pulled the trigger to actually do the podcast. And like August, September, October, December, I, I didn't really take it seriously. I would just, I didn't really prep for my episodes. I would just like show up. I didn't really care who I brought on. I was just like randomly doing like random stuff. And of course that's why people didn't care. But at the beginning of the year in 2018, I remember January 1st, I was just like, like, man, like I'm either, I'm either going to do this to like the best of my ability or I'm not. And so that was a period where I just really started to get serious about it. And I really began to like put in more marbles into it. I began to like put out more episodes. I began to learn more. I began to research more about like my guests, how to, like what makes a good episode. I began to market better. I began to really do all these things. And so when I started it, it was just kind of like random. And like four months later, after I had gone on that track, I was like, okay, I'm either gonna do this or I'm not. And then I went on a plan to take it seriously. And then I've like been on this conquest ever since. <laughs> okay, that's awesome, man. And so who would you say has, you know, been the most inspirational person to you, um, you know, on this journey, you know, whether it's a, a family member, friends, a mentor, because um, I think it's important that, that people know who these foundational humans are in our lives that really help help us and see things in us that we don't see in ourselves sometimes so um can you tell the audience who that person has been for you and if there's multiple that's that's fine as well yeah for sure well you know i think i think first and foremost the fact that um, you know i'm not a statistic and i didn't kill myself has a lot to do with just like my earlier past of like you know the fact that i had great parents never abused me definitely think like if I was suicidal and I had like no family foundation I definitely would have think I would have become a statistic for sure and so like indirectly my parents my family my sister has helped me my best friend a lot of people um and then also like you know to, to throw a curveball you know I also think that a lot of things in life you have to do by yourself and I remember like when I was at my rock bottom, one of the things that actually made me get up and get motivated was the fact that I realized that nobody was coming to save me. And the fact that I had realized like all throughout my life, I was always waiting on other people. I was always being held hostage for people, waiting on people to open the door for me. But when I actually realized that, I was like, man, like when it comes to like really deep internal things like your mental health, your psychology, I mean, of course, like, you have to learn, you have to get out there and you have to grow. But it's also like a lot of the stuff people can't do it for you. You know, like a lot of the stuff you have to do it yourself. And so aside from like my family and like my close friends that, that helped me, you know, I think some other people that have helped me, like um, there's this guy named Tim Ferriss. He hosts a podcast if you know him or don't know him. Um, I don't know him personally, but I remember like when I was kind of at my rock bottom, I remember um, hearing one of his podcasts where he talked about the time where he was suicidal. And when I kind of like got that snapshot of like, wow, there's like some successful guy now who hosts a podcast and he talked about the time where he was in college and he was suicidal. I was like, wow, I like that gave me a little bit of hope. And, and like there were there were dozens of people like online, like content creators, authors, people that I read their books and they changed my life for sure. Um, whether that was Tim Ferriss or 
in the entrepreneurial lens, Gary Vaynerchuk or people like um, uh, Naveen Jain or um, just a, a wide variety of people. And the craziest part is a lot of these people now have actually become my friends. A lot of these people through the podcast have become people that I've known and I've met in real life and I, and I text and I get to hang out with. And so like, I'm super grateful for that. And, and like, when you do kind of see that, it kind of makes like the, the circle kind of go round. Then you kind of realize that you've got to do this to other people too. And you've got to, if you can, if you've got your own stuff sort, sorted out, you almost have a responsibility to, to be this person, but for other people. So everything comes around, you know, full circle. Absolutely, man. And, you know, that's one thing that I've been really realizing over the last couple of years is that, you know, our stories, our journey, you know, it's not for us to keep in, right? It's, it's for us to share with the world in the hopes that we can impact others, to inspire them to think differently, maybe do something differently, or, or maybe take some action, right? Because there's no way you can create momentum without action, right? <laughs> you, know, you can sit around a lot, but if you don't actually move, then you're not gonna create the momentum that'll take you out of the place. And it doesn't matter what, place that you're in you can get out of anything if you just start to move that's exactly right man and, and, and you know inaction creates anxiety and anxiety creates um either inaction or action you know anxiety can actually be like a double-edged sword where it can like get you to, to do stuff or it can also get you to like fall deeper in like that like procrastination and action cycle of you feeling worse and worse about yourself, but it's just because you haven't gotten up and, and sort of like, like done something, you know? So like for me, like, like for me, like I take very seriously, like my, like a lot of people refer to them as like self-care habits and they view them as like optional things. For me, I take them very, very, very seriously because they are like these things that I can just sort of check off my list. And on top of like doing those habits that actually like help me manage my amygdala better and help literally help my brain work better they also like check off that box of like just doing something to like slowly build that momentum to get moving and so i announced very well said. awesome man and so let's uh let's jump into the book a little bit as we're as we're coming to a close here so uh, give the audience the the name of the book and then um really uh let's let's give everybody five key takeaways that they're gonna get um when they pick this book up and where they can find it yeah i mean so um so it's largely what we've been talking about but this book is all about uh mental health transformation social anxiety it's called screw being shy learn how to manage social anxiety and be yourself in front of anyone and I mean, five tips. I mean, I would say, um, I would say number one, um, you have to uh, invest in yourself, whether that is money, time, love, emotions. And so honestly, like if you're listening to this podcast and you do have social anxiety or you have trouble being yourself in front of other people, but quite frankly, you're looking for like simple hacks, I mean, I think that's the first place to start right then and there, like the, the short term mindset of like trying to find hacks or trying to find like magic pill solutions to like easily do. Cause the matter of the fact is, is that's just not the way that life works. And like in my book and why I actually chose to write this book was, and because I've read so many books and because I've interviewed so many people on my podcast, I know what a good book is and what isn't. And by no means am I saying this, it's a good book because it's my first so who knows but number one is like you have to get to the root cause or no rather number two after you understand number one there is no such thing as a hack or a quick fix number two is you have to understand the root cause so a lot of people in this industry are mostly focusing on the surface area of like things that you can do but you actually have to get to the root cause and a major part of that root cause is understanding your psychological trauma and understanding your childhood Number three is I would say you have to gain um, like a neuroscientific perspective at a very, very simple level of just how the human brain works, how our brain works, whether that's the amygdala or our neocortex or our hippocampus. And then also how like that relates into everyday life, like the things that your brain has sort of been designed to do versus what our modern society has created. So like, for example, like, 
I talk about this in the book, but like every single mental health condition has been linked to a deficiency in vitamin D, which is largely caused by lack of sunlight, which is largely caused by people not going outside and just staying inside. And so you might not necessarily know that or think that, but yet our brains know that and they will, like, you'll suffer the consequences if you do not meet that need. Number four is I would say to, like again, um, learn a little bit about the basics and the and sort of like the, the the primitive aspects of what it means to behave as a human being and you know there's a percentage of people who are shy and have social anxiety because they haven't really learned how to communicate with other people they haven't exactly learned how to like go up to someone and, and introduce themselves and so people who have social anxiety will often fall on the cycle of like they're inside because they're socially isolating themselves. And it's not because they don't want to talk to people, but because it's super scary. And the reason why it's super scary is because they don't know how. And so someone will sort of like going back to inaction, someone will sort of constantly keep going back into these circles and not actually learning on how to like expose themselves and just learn again in those rooms and get in those situations. And so if you can do the research, of course it's in my book, it shows you how to do this. You learn things like body language, you learn things about like nonverbal communication, you learn sort of how to introduce yourself to people, you learn about the social aspects of like the very basic things of what it means to act like a human being. That can be a big help. And then honestly, probably the last one is to um, is to expose yourself. And what I mean is like, you need to incrementally, like I think you need to do one through steps one through four first. But once you sort of begin to understand the lay of the land and you identify your fears, then you just begin to expose yourself incrementally. You begin to take like the smallest action of that fear. So for example, for me, when I kind of realized I had social anxiety, what I would do is I would go, I would like write in my journal, I write down like today I'm going to go outside and I'm going to talk to five random people. And I would go outside and I would try to do that but I failed and I realized that was too broad of a goal to give my mind. And so I had to go back to the drawing board and be like, hey, I'm going to go up to five random people and just ask them what the time is. And so I'd go outside and then because it's like a very logical sort of thing, like the logical side of your brain, you're like, hey, sorry to interrupt you. What's the time? And you do that and you slowly begin to ease that fear. And then you walk up to another five people and you're like, hey, what's the time and then also you know how to get to directions to go to this place over here that's like right over there that you know how to get there and so you work your way sort of down these steps and then eventually you can randomly walk up to people and kind of start these conversations and so there's definitely more to it than that but those are five um ideas i guess that someone could have in their mind to kind of look at this differently Awesome. No, that definitely makes a whole lot of sense. And, um, you know, I, I think it's it's always interesting. And, you know, you, you kind of understand it and why they really try to get kids involved in extracurricular sports, right? It's a lot of it's obviously the, from the sports aspect, you get the teamwork, the camaraderie, you get you get right. to work your muscles, but also from the fundraising aspect, you get out of the house, you get in front of people, right? You get to knock on doors and sell the cookies and the, and the beef jerky and things like that. And I know for me, I think that was foundational in really building up my people skills at a young age, right? And I, my first job was at 14, I went door to door signing people up for newspaper subscriptions. So like I had to hear a hundred people tell me no every day. So, you know, I, I think, um, having those experiences in and again i think you're right on the money when it's start small right? right start start with the logical questions and then work your way up right because the more people you talk to the more you're gonna get comfortable yeah absolutely man and like i i recommend that too so it's like regardless of whether you think of yourself as like an athletic person or not I think the best thing to do, and quite honestly, not just for kids, but even adults, is to like join some sort of a sports team. Because like, on top of like the physical exercise, which is great for your mental health, um, you also get that communication. You also get like what it's like to like do
do something in a group with people and kind of have those altercations for sure. And like, you know, if we can get more people to do that early on, for sure, then you'll definitely, you know, see a population with people who don't struggle or, or, you know, maybe they're able to sort of go out of their shyness and not have it sort of develop into social anxiety where like a lot of it has to do with like your nervous system and a lot of like your biochemical signals. But if you can get that early on, for for sure man so that's what i always recommend people to and and um you know if you have kids definitely try to get them like that and then and then you know for sure like the fundraising aspect that you have like i think that's good not just for getting out there but also just like teaching people how the actual world works of like if you want something you basically need money or you need to get it from someone else you know you need to get those resources so invaluable invaluable resources man And, and thank you for having me on and i didn't mention it but People can check out the books, Group Being Shy, uh, on Amazon. Um, you can go to my website for just sort of like a more central place to check out what I've got going on, which is just my first and last name.com, M-A-R-K-M-E-T-R-Y.com. Awesome, man. Hey, listen, it's been an awesome time having you on. I appreciate you, you know, really telling the audience about your journey and uh i can't wait to see what's in it next for you i know you've got some uh some big plans i'm sure so uh, thank you so much for being on the blaze your own trail podcast wow what a great episode with mark metry Uh, He's got tons of information. He's helping a lot of people out through his content. Make sure that you all check out his website, markmetry.com, and connect with him. You know, he's on social, he's on Instagram, he's on uh, LinkedIn, he's on Twitter as well. So make sure you check out all of his info in the show notes.